Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 18. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Saul wanted David to marry his daughter because then the Philistines would know that David was related to the king, which would cause them to, to come for David and to, to get to Saul. So he's using his daughter as a pawn. So Saul's using his daughter to get to David. I thought this guy's creepy. Now you remember last week I gave you five spears thrown at David of all of which David avoids, Remember? The first one was the spear of popularity. If you missed these teachings, go pick up the CD. The spear of popularity and the spear of envy and the spear of anger and the spear of fear. And now we see here the fifth and final spear of front line. Notice the fifth spear of front line. Saul decides to put David in the front. Did y'all get that? Sound familiar? Put David in the front in the heat of the battle with the Philistines so that the Philistines will kill him. Now, perhaps this is where David got the whole idea from in the beginning. I don't know. I'm just saying. Oh, you know the story. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 tells us David had an affair with Bathsheba and she was out on the roof taking a bath. And David looks over the way and he sees her and he sends for her. He sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. He tries many things to cover his sin and they fail. And finally, David sends Uriah, her husband, to the front line of the battle. And perhaps, maybe, feasibly, possibly, David got that strategy from Saul. At this point, Saul's trying to take David's life. Verse 18, David said, who am I that I should be the son-in-law to the king? Now, I love this verse, actually. I really do. Because I think it tells us a lot about David in his heart. David is humble. David didn't know what was in the heart of Saul. David is trusting God and allowing God to lead him with a humble heart. Did you know that these are the kinds of people that God uses? God uses humble people. Write it down. God uses humble people. God asked Moses, remember, to deliver the Israelites from Egypt in Exodus chapter 11. And Moses said, who am I that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Humility. God asked Gideon to deliver the Israelites from Midian. Remember? And Gideon said, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house, Judges 6, verse 15. When, Saul told, when Samuel told Saul that he was going to become king, remember Saul said, 
Am I a Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes? 1 Samuel 9, 21. So God uses humble people. And the tricky thing is to stay humble after God uses you. Now that's where things get a little tricky. Because everybody starts out humble. Everybody. They start out humble. The thing is to stay that way. After God does a great work through you, then stay that way. After God did a great work through Moses, he was the humblest man on the earth. And how do we know that? Because he told us. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, look it up. If you know your Bibles, you know that already. Gideon refused to become king, Judges 8, 23. And now Saul is out to kill David. He started humble. I've seen this over and over. Listen to me. I'm going to try to say this quickly. I've seen it over and over and over in the scriptures. I could talk about it all night, but I'm trying to say it quick. In the 18 years that I've pastored this church, um, people have started in the ministry humble. And I don't know, well, I do know what happens. They take their eyes off the Lord. And God starts to use you, and then you start to think that you're all that in a bag of chips. And so you start getting puffed up. And I used to, you know, I remember a few people came to ministry, and people I bought on staff, actually, that would you know, come on staff, and they started out humble, and then what happened? And then I had to let them go, and it was nasty, and it was nasty for the church, and it was nasty for me. And I, th- I used to think, Ronnie, you are the worst hirer. <laughs> Not a word? Okay. I'm better now. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm really getting better. <laughs> That was Pastor Kevin. He's our recent hire. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, I am getting better now, but I used to beat myself up. I really did, guys. I used to beat myself up because I'm like, man, you're the worst hire. You, you can't, like, everybody you, you get on staff, not everybody, but a lot of people, you, you get on, uh, several, you get on staff, <laughs> a couple, um, <laughs> you get on staff, and then they, and what's going on? And, and then I started to realize that it really wasn't me. It was the fact that they were humble. That's what got my attention in the beginning. That's what made me hire them in the beginning, is that they love God, they serve God, they serve God's people. They wanted to just be used of God. They, they just wanted to be used of God, and that was it. But then when God started using them, then they started to get puffed up. And then they see me in the pulpit for a couple of seven or eight years, and they look at me and think, oh, that's easy. I can do that. I'm going to start my own church. And then they come to me, and do you think I ought to start a church? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, no, please don't do it. Please save yourself. Save yourself from this untoward generation. Save yourself. <laughs> and they don't listen. So the tricky thing is to stay humble. And that's been my prayer for years. I don't care how high God takes me. I want to stay exactly where I am today. Low. I always tell people, stay low. Just stay low. Stay low. God lifts you up, stay low. 
Radio ministry gets bigger, stay low. Church gets bigger, stay low. Worship, people start worshiping the Lord and telling you, oh, you're such a great singer. Oh, you're oh, fabulous. Stay low. Because people will gas you up. I'm trying to help you. Am I right about it? As soon as they don't like you no more, they put a pin in you. (laughs) I think it was Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, humility is a virtue so difficult to grasp that if I should ever attain to it, I'd be proud of myself. (laughs) Isn't that true? That's probably the truest thing I've heard. Look at verse 19 in your Bibles. We've got to move forward. I can't believe it's 810 already. Look, we've got to move forward. Obviously, there were plans for David and Mirab to be married. The date was set, but Saul changed his mind. He gave Mirab to another man, Adriel, the Maholathite, as wife. And we don't know why, maybe trying to provoke David, uh, trying to make him angry, we don't know why. Look at verse 20, God is working it out though, because Michael, Saul's other daughter, loved David. Isn't that like God? And they told Saul that Michael was in love with David, and Saul said, great, I'll give her to him that she may be a snare to him in verse 20. Did y'all get that? What kind of girl must she have been that her father says, I want her to marry David so she can be a snare to him. What kind of girl must she, Saul must have really hated David. He's thinking I'll give my daughter to him and make his life miserable. That's fantastic. Look at verse 22. Saul is thinking at this point, either Michael will get him or the Philistines will get him. Either way, he'll get got. Well, then Saul told his servants to tell David in secret, the king loves you. You looking at verse 22? The king loves you. The king is happy with you. And just to throw David off, the king is saying great stuff about you. He wants you to be son-in-law. Verse 23, David doesn't know. David said, wow, this is awesome. I am poor. I don't have a dowry. I'm a shepherd. It's a big deal to be the king's son-in-law. And the servants in verse 24 told Saul what David said. And Saul told his servants in verse 25 to go back and tell David the king doesn't want a dowry. He wants a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Now listen, David should have said, all right, enough is enough. (laughs) David should have said, Michael, let's just elope. Because your dad is kind of cuckoo. He wants a hundred foreskin. He's sick. David said, is that all? No problem. Now, let me tell you before we move any further. <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about the dowry. In that day, you probably know you've been here. In that day, a man want, if a man wanted to marry a woman, he had to give a dowry. And the dowry, listen, was paid to the father of the bride. And the more important the bride and the family, the higher the dowry. And if you're taking those, write this down. The the purpose of the dowry was twofold. Number one, to compensate the bride's family for the loss of a family worker. Number two, it was also like a life insurance or alimony in advance. If the husband died or divorced his wife and she had to go back home, 
there was some money to support her. So in our text, Saul's asking for a dowry, but the way he's asking for the dowry is deceitful. Verse 25, look at it again. The servant said the king doesn't want a dowry. That makes it sound like Saul doesn't want anything from David. But listen, Saul wants more than a dowry. And he wants more than money. Saul wants to put David's life in jeopardy because he wants him dead. And in order to get the dowry, David would have had to go to battle with the Philistines. And in order to obtain the foreskins, the Philistines would have to be dead. Because they're not going to offer. (laughs) Y'all should see the guy's faces from here. The guys are going. (laughs) (laughs) You ought to see it from where I'm standing. Oh, wait. So, circumcision seat to the Philistine. <laughs> oh, wait. <Woo. laughs> circumcision, listen, to the Philistines was equal to desecration of the body because it was just forbidden among the Philistines. So Saul knew that. And Saul knew that David didn't have any money. And there was no way that he could pay the dowry for the king's daughter. So Saul is thinking that the arrow of the Philistines is just as sharp as mine. Saul sends David on a dangerous mission to get the foreskins of the Philistines and, and hoping that David would be killed by the Philistines. Look at verse 26. That's fascinating. David thought that was a good idea. That's fascinating to me. So David and his men killed 200 of the Philistines, not 100, and bought 200 foreskins back and gave them in full count a Kodak moment. That's a Kodak moment. Gave them in full count. Now, you've often heard me say that I wish I had a DVD of this thing. You've heard me say that, yes? This is not one of them. This is not one of them. Two questions. Number one, who counted them out to the king? Because that's just nasty. I'm sorry. (laughs) Write that down. And number two, how does Michael feel about this dowry? Okay, Dad, if he ever divorces me, this is what I get to live on. (laughs) It's terrible. Then Saul probably thought, weapon form didn't prosper again. Verse 27, Saul gave Michael to marry. Seems like a bad beginning to a marriage. I don't know. Verse 28, Saul understood the Lord was with David and Michael and loved David. And you might think that Saul would stop trying to kill David right here, wouldn't you? Nope. The closer David got to the Lord, the further David got from Saul. And side note, saints, listen, this is how it works. If you're walking with God, there will be a distance between you and people who are not walking with God. I'm going to say that again. If you are walking with God, there will be a distance between you and people who are not walking with God. Why? Because light and darkness can't mix. Water and oil can't mix. Christ and Belial can't mix. You see it in your own family. People that 
are walking with God, there is a difference and a separation. Am I right about it? With those who are not walking with God. You can feel it. You can sense it. it the chasm is so wide. Sometimes you don't even talk. You don't, don't talk because you don't have anything to talk about. Because y'all want to talk about the world. We want to talk about Christ. Y'all want to smell like a skunk. We want to smell like the fragrance of Christ. I'm stuck on that. I preached on Sunday. Were y'all here? The fragrance of Christ. And when you're not walking with God, you don't have anything in common with those that are. That's why when people start backsliding, uh, I can tell. I can tell. Because many, many times, many times, not all the time, but many times, you know, you, I, it's, I can almost tell by where they sit in the sanctuary. You know, when you've been doing this thing for as long as I've been doing it, you pick up a few things along the way. It's not taught in class, and you can't go to cemetery, I mean seminary, and you can't, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't get this sitting in the classroom. It's stuff you pick up along the way, and I have seen it. People, they're, they're in love with the Lord, they're excited about the things of the Lord, their mind, their heart is engaged in things of the Lord, their necks are outstretched when God's word is being spoken. And they're sitting there and right, taking notes. And oh man, this is the best thing. And before you, after a while, give it some time, and then I start seeing them in the middle. Hmm, what's going on? Okay, we're crowded. Got you. All right. Then all of a sudden, see them on the back row. All the back row people are like, But you, you know, you see my back row. Why? Because it's just you. You just start to see a lack of interest. And I guess as a pastor, for me, I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can walk in this room and feel it when people aren't worshiping. I can feel it. I don't know. Can you? I can. I can walk in here and go. that. Time to do something different. Time to stand up. Maybe y'all just ate a lot of food. Maybe you got a lot of tryptophan going on. I don't know. <laughs> but something needs to change because I can tell. You know what I'm saying, Mac? Can't you, can you feel it? And you can see people's hearts disconnect if you have any spiritual intuition, you can feel it, you can see it. Almost even in where they sit. Interesting. Because light and darkness can't mix. And before you know it, they don't come this Sunday, they come the next. And then they don't come for two, but they come the next. And then they don't come for three, but then they come the next. And then they don't come for four, but then they come the next. And then they miss a month, and then they, they come the next. And then they miss two months, and then they come the next. And then they miss six months, and then they come the next. I told you, nobody wakes up in the morning and decides to backslide.
You don't get up in the morning and go, you know what? I think I'll backslide today. Nobody does that. Nobody. Trust me, nobody. It doesn't work that way. It's a heart issue. It's a slow disconnect. It's a hard, and before you know it, it's like, man, I ain't been to church in a year. And then what happens is then Satan says, oh, man, if you go back there, they'll be talking about you. Folks be looking at you like you can't, you, you can't go back there. When in fact, you should go back there. Because that's where your last was. <laughs> you should go back there. And by the way, listen, ain't nobody looking at you. What you think you got on? Somebody got to be looking at you. Ain't nobody looking at you. Look at all that self-importance. You think, oh, when I walk in, everybody going, Phew. You think? I don't. Anybody looking at you? Because everybody should be looking at Jesus. We should be looking at Jesus. Ain't nobody looking at you. So you should go back. But that's why you have to watch. That's why the Bible says to walk circumspectly. That means to watch your life. To watch how you walk. Watch what you're doing. Watch what goes in your eyes. Watch who you fellowship with. Watch who you, you know, whose cell phone number. You know who you're fellowshipping with. You know, look, look at your cell phone. Look at your call log. Whoever you talk to the most, that's the influence in your life. You got to watch, walk circumspectly. Take, pay attention to your life. Why do Christians, we just, oh, oh, Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. <laughs> Go to church. Worship. Go home, watch a few movies. You gotta walk, you gotta pay attention to your life as a Christian. You really do. Are you reading your Bible? I have to pay attention to my life as a Christian. I'm to study the Bible for a living. And I have to watch my life. And I study the Word for a living. This is what I get paid to do. And I still have to watch my life. Because I can find myself studying. And not receiving. Look at verse 28. We got to get going. So, Saul, this is disconnect. A distance. And even though Saul knew that the Lord was with David, Saul made himself an enemy with David. And when he made himself an enemy with David, watch this, saints, he became an enemy with God. And therein lies the problem. And verse 30 makes it clear. David is a marked man. The Philistines want to kill David because of the foreskin issue. I didn't know how else to say that, so I, that's the way I, I got it. <laughs> Saul's plan for David backfired. And David behaved wisely. Look at verse 30. David behaved wisely. Verse 5. David behaved wisely. Verse 14. David behaved wisely. Verse 15. David behaved very wisely. And here in verse 30, 
David behaved more wisely than Saul's servants. So his name became highly esteemed. Uh, some of your Bibles may say precious. That's exactly what it means in Hebrew, that his name became precious. And at this point, David is more popular and closer to the Lord than ever. So God is with David. Saul knows it. Jonathan know it. The people know it. His wife knows it. Everybody knows it. You can't keep a good man down. There's only one thing you can do with a man like this, and that is assassinate him. (laughs) And that's exactly what is going to try and happen in chapter 19 as Saul tells Jonathan and all of his servants that they should kill David. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.